Welcome to the future of gaming. GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly forecasts. It is a very special episode because we have a very special guest on the podcast. We have Eric Kress, who's a principal of Gossamer Consulting Group, and he's also a question mark podcast host at Deconstructor of Fun. Is that is that your official role there, or are you just I guess someone so. there? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I guess I'm the host now that Mishka is uh, shackled by the Sony corporate PR. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm in charge for now. Fantastic, good. And then we also have the usual Devin Becker on with us. Hey, Devin. What up? And I'm me, Nico Vreke. And today we will, as usual, um, not try to predict what we're going to talk about because that varies wildly and we never manage to follow our script. So we're just going to jam. We're going to talk about the future of games. Um, and then my first question, well, maybe, Eric, you're a consultant at Gosmer Consulting Group. What is, you would say, your comparative advantage? Like, what do you know that others don't? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm competing generally with the... Uh... So my primary job is consulting for hedge funds uh, that make investments in the publicly traded names. So my primary competition is the Wall Street banks like Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Wedbush, those type of things that have analysts that cover video games that really know little or nothing about video games, right? Um, so my real advantage is that I've actually worked at video game companies, right? So I've had half my career working for companies and half my career covering video games. So actually kind of know what's going on or how it works so um, or how the sausage is made, so to speak. So that gives me a huge advantage because I have a lot more uh, uh, perspective on things that are happening in the industry and what, the, what, the, what, what that means. And I think that's what my clients value the most is that kind of perspective. Got it. Um, good. Uh, appreciate that. What are you mo working on mostly now these days, Devin? Because we don't talk about ourselves enough, clearly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, still doing a lot of stuff with um, with Novik as well as doing uh, work on that the Web3 analytics stuff with Nami, which I think uh, we haven't really spoken a lot about, but I think will be really cool. Hopefully, we'll have a lot to talk about in the near future for the cool stuff we're doing there in terms of like uh, really digging into analytics from the web three side of things. But mm. also I think, you know, uh, as, as Eric, you know, is familiar with the, the web two side of things, you know, could use a lot of analytics um, that bridges over stuff just because like the web two analytics stuff doesn't necessarily work super great with blockchain stuff. Like the example that I like to use is LTV is one of the, the, the early ones we're trying to do just because value works pretty differently on the blockchain. So we're trying to figure out, okay, well, what, what do you do with – if people are doing stuff with tokens on the blockchain, how do you actually convert that to dollars? Does it make sense to always convert it to dollars? Stuff like that I think is tricky problems to solve, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, and I think we'll have hopefully some cool beta demos kind of in the near future. We're just working with partners right now to build out stuff that actually people can use uh, with actual games, which I think is a fun way to do it, right? Sorry, backing up. Is this your company or is this Navic? Yeah, I'm a co uh, Nami. Uh, I know they start with the NA. Like it gets confusing. Even okay. my fiance is yeah, always I... like, "Which which one are you talking about again?" Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, the um, uh, I'm a co-founder of it, and and I do like the the game side of things for a lot of it, just because I also come from a game background, like yourself, kind of. Oh, that's actually very cool. So, I'd like to talk to you about that. I didn't know you were definitely. doing that because uh, we. So I'm. I also consult for Forte. So I'm trying to understand what's going to happen in the Web three space by looking at the products that are out there. And man, it's horrific. <laughs> the products are so bad. Yeah. It's like, 
I mean, there's there's some diamonds in the rough here, but I'd love to see how you're actually triangulating definitely and trying to figure out how these things are performing because every metric I look at looks just worse than the neck than the last. It's like <laughs> I, I yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's like esports, right? Like it, 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 it just gets worse and worse. It's like <laughs> I, I, I don't know, like how people can be like really excited about what's happening out there. You know, I, I feel the um, same way about like esports. I actually just we uh, I write the Nami Nexus that we put out, and the last one was just about esports specifically. Like I think esports is kind of a a dodgy industry to say the best, to say least at this point, just because like the business model doesn't make any damn sense. Like I did the commentating for, you know, like almost six years. And so I kind of, I saw it from the inside and it was like, I don't know how anyone's making money in that space without it being just a constant grift piled on grift. Uh, like, I feel like it's worse than web three sometimes. Like, uh, personally, I think there's, there's great people in, in the industry, uh, esports, but I, like the business model is nuts. Yeah, who who's the guy at Navic that covers esports? That's at Bitcraft. They, he just did a podcast about it. No, it's Sebastian. I wouldn't say he's, he's he's not at Navic. He's he just went on for an interview. But uh, continue. Dude, I listened to this podcast and it was like everything is fine. Like, hey, we're good. Like, we're up <laughs> and to the right still. I, you VC guys are just blow my mind. Like about like how like crazy. What what I I don't even understand. Like how you can be in a mindset that where. Every piece of evidence is against your whole perception. Five of the minutes world. in, and like, Eric's so already weird. tilted. It's, this it's, is a great so podcast. Weird. Already, I, I, I really do like some of the. Well, I like the fact that Navic has a bunch of different, cool, interesting people that are covering different things at different perspectives than me. And so, some of their podcasts are really good. Some of their hosts are not so good. But like, um, but anyway, I love listening to it just to understand, to hear it. But it's like I, I, I don't, I, I don't understand. I, I, mm. I have no idea what he's thinking because he's clearly a smart guy. But no, things are not going well in esports. They're not going well in blockchain. You know, they're not going well in VR. They're not going well in EAR. You know, and like, mobile. I, I would put one counterpoint kind of to that, though. Like, um, so the thing that always cracked me up uh, since, like, I didn't really ever, like, work directly for Ubisoft. You know, I was always kind of, like, under ESL or Face It or whatever. But I did get to, like, see, you know, like, how Ubisoft worked and things like that. But it always cracks me up seeing their earnings call because, like, the only game that's really kind of carried them for the last like feels like four or five years is rainbow six siege. And then occasionally something else, which is their only esports title. And is, you know, they took them forever to kind of like figure out how to do esports, put their money into esports correctly. Like, and I see them kind of, sometimes it seems like siphoning money that, that rainbow six siege makes to go dump into another failure of a game. Uh, you know, time after but, time. But, but, but rainbow six isn't surviving because of esports It's surviving because it's a great, business model and it has a dedicated right. audience that keeps playing but I just mean, like, time they spend tons of money on esports and obviously they're right. getting something out of that or they wouldn't and, be like and like as a marketing my, vehicle right like get, exactly that's my whole thesis right. on esports is as it a is, marketing it's just vehicle marketing, it's marketing marketing like perfect from the from the, the, the brand's side right. from the sponsor side from yeah. the, the game developer side it's just like three marketing budgets combined to try to keep the thing going right and if you talk to riot that's all they ever thought it was going to be. He's like, we don't break even. They said a million times, we we barely break even on these tournaments. All we do is right. it helps keep the players engaged, keep coming back and spending more right. money on bullshit, you know? Right. And I, I don't think esports uh, is necessarily carrying uh, Siege, but it's just funny that it's like it's the game that like has their biggest marketing spend in that sense. And it's the only thing seeming to be successful, you know, what is it, seven years, I think, in now? 
And like, like they've never done a game I, that's like lasted that long. Are you trying to trigger me on Ubisoft? Is that the, that was the whole point? No, of no. I just think it's funny <laughs> because like, it's like looking at the earnings calls. You're like you're like waiting for it to be like, oh, this game that we just dumped out was successful, and it's and it's almost always every year. It's like, well, you know, we gotta admit, I guess Rainbow Six Siege carried us again this year, guys. I just I don't know, it cracks me up. I mean, obviously, I would like. I, so when when I first started on that game in year one as a commentator, like I was like, this game is amazing, but it's probably going to fall on its face and fail because they were, you know, struggling through everything. Like as a like you were on a contract to contract basis, and I'm just waiting. Like, all right, well, this is going to get canceled soon. It was a fun ride, and it's still going. It cracks me up. It's um. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm I'm curious to see where the all the big esports orgs go because I recently saw that Phase made what it was like fifty three million dollars in loss, and their share price from a billion dollar IPO is like what like down ninety nine percent or something. Um, <laughs> like, like that wasn't predictable. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what um, do they do? They sell merch, right? I mean, is that really their business? Yeah. Hey, they've got like NFTs, right? They can make money off that, can't they? <laughs> they actually they they were heralded as one of the better NFT uh, launches. Uh, of, I think G two actually did some okay stuff, if I remember right. But I didn't really watch Phase's stuff. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know, man. I think that's that's also it wasn't done as well as it could have been. Um, yeah, but yeah. I I I know from like firsthand that I would say that probably nine out of the nine nine out of the ten biggest esports organizations are seriously losing money uh, and a lot of it. So um yeah let's see let's see where that ends up. Um so Eric you mentioned things like the metaverse you mentioned things like esports you mentioned things like web3 things you're not bullish on for the the foreseeable future. What are you bullish on in the foreseeable future or are you just down on everything? No, console PC man. I mean that's that's where all the market is right now and that's probably the next 3 or 4 years. Right. With this this generation of console is probably gonna be the biggest ever. Um and then the next generation will likely bigger be bigger than the last. Uh as as it would happen last last generation of, of consoles. Uh that market continues to be super robust and strong and uh the right demographic that spends lots of money uh and that is not uh and I wouldn't say that the demographic or the the business is actually growing from the perspective of user base, maybe on the margins, particularly for Nintendo, maybe. But like forget Nintendo for a moment, if it's just PlayStation and Microsoft, I think they just have a stable user base and they get older and younger to some degree. But it's a stable user base of a couple hundred million people that will pay whatever it takes to get the best content available. And so that's what that's what's actually going to be bullish for the next uh I think maybe three years. And then I, I am still bullish on the metaverse from the perspective, not Matthew Ball's version of metaverse, which is ridiculous, <laughs> but the, uh, um, but uh, Epic, I think what Epic is doing is really interesting. And I, I, I could go into that a little bit. I, I have some concerns as I always do, but, but what I do believe is that since it is built on a very robust engine, it should be able to attract some of the same audience that is participating in this amazing console PC generation. So um, I think it'll be really, really interesting to follow that to see how well it does. And if it's really ad- additive or is it cannibalistic? That's my biggest concern right now. I have a bunch of questions, Eric. One, okay. if I look it, at the market's um, growth within games, 
it's basically only mobile and PC and console are either flat or down. Why this sudden change or how do you see the opportunity still in consoles and PC? Well, I think the consoles just had a huge problem with hardware during the, the pandemic. And now that that is alleviated, they're selling like gangbusters. And so we should get up to the you know peak install base within the next two years. And during that time, there's like insatiable demand for content. When something like Harry Potter, which is a great game, by the way, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on that. It's going to sell like 18 million units by the end of the year. Dude, that's insane, right? Like that doesn't happen, right? Like these games, I mean, it's a great game, but like, so, and then, you know, obviously Call of Duty just sold off the shelves last year because it was an amazing game. And then we're going to have Jedi, which is going to do over 10 million units easy in freaking April, you know, like, and then, and then the lineup is just amazing this year and it continues, it'll continue to go for the next two or three years as the content catches up. Cause I do think COVID and work from home was just an absolute horrific for game development. Just, just not good. I, I know people are, well, we're not going back to the office ever type sort, but like when you're in a creative industry, being at home was just caused all kinds of challenges for game development, created all kinds of delays. And I think that's been alleviated now and we're seeing more and more content starting to come. So, uh, so that that would answer your question, right? I think that that's the primary driver of the console business is hardware, right? Um, when you don't have mm-hmm. hardware, you don't sell software, right? Mm-hmm. Now we have hardware, we should sell software. It's like that simple. Really, I'm really curious what you think about Nintendo going forward, then, because like like every other hardware that they've done has kind of flopped, and like you saw what they did with the the Wii to the Wii U, right? Where they kind of were like, let's kind of extend the success, and then just just horribly botched it. I mean, do you see the potential for that to be like the Switch 2 to be like Wii U or that somehow they just try and keep the Switch going forever? Like, I don't know where they go from here. And I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, the thesis has been that. Well, the thesis has always been that they were going to do the iPhone model. I mean, that's my thesis anyway. So I've been really bullish on Nintendo. The problem is, is the game, the Switch 2 is just so delayed. It should have been released last two years ago, maybe. Uh, was the right timing for the a new device that has higher, better capabilities from both um, hardware and uh, and networking and all the other stuff? Because the Switch itself is a f- terrible device, absolute terrible. I mean, it's an amazing design, but it's a terrible in terms of components, right? Even the Wi-Fi chip is garbage. You know, it's crazy. So anyway, so I, what 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 I think is going to happen is a different for Nintendo is that it is going to be an iPhone model. So the Switch Two is just going to be another Switch just with better graphics and better capabilities of which everything would be backwards compatible, right? So there is no transition between Switch 1 and Switch 2. The problem is they've delayed it so much that the transition is going to be quite dramatic, right? More so than it should have been. But having said that, it still alleviates this big issue of the risk around coming out with a hardware device that no one wants, like the Wii U or uh, back in the way, old days, the GameCube, right? Which was awful as well. So it's like, so what it should do is eliminate a lot of the uh, transition risks that people see in, in Nintendo, uh, generally speaking. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm expecting. And I still kind of expect, I think in my predictions, expecting to see the switch to this year, uh, in holiday announced in September, probably maybe a limited run, but that, but that is, it is coming, right. It is coming. And there's some evidence out there, you know, like, uh, an animal crossing skew that's going to be, uh, uprezzed, uh, for, um, Switch 2. So we'll, we'll we'll see. And I think Zelda is actually going to be an amazing game for Switch 2. And there's an Mario game coming, uh, in theory, after the success of the Mario movie. So, 
I'm bullish on Nintendo. Very bullish on Nintendo, generally. Fantastic. What you were not bullish on was Matthew Ball's version of the metaverse. What's up with that? What's wrong with it? I Look, I, I thought the book was an amazing book in terms of where we've come and where we are. Uh, but his whole prediction about the metaverse is ridiculous, right? So, uh, on its first, on its face, like the notion that we're going to have some u- ubiquitous standard around the metaverse, like the internet, you know, and it, 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 it that ship sailed <laughs> years, decades ago when, when tech started happening, like these, these standards for the internet only exist because it was done by the government. Right. And then the standards themselves are not as, 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 as well, good half of them as have they disappeared over time too. Like, right. It, it's not and, really standard as one thing. It's yeah, like a bunch and, of things that hodgepodged. And so like what what I like about Matthew is that he's a, he's an intellect, right? He's like far smarter than me clearly. Right. And, and he, 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 he's a professor. Right. And so he writes this book like a professor. And, and I think it's, it's worth reading for everybody. But, um, but there's just no way we're going to have standards around uh, the metaverse, period, end of sentence, right? Governments are not going to get involved. And even if the U.S. government come up with some standard, there's no way that China, Japan, Korea, like there's too much money at stake uh, for that to happen. Uh, it's going to be run by businesses. And we already see, and my definition of the metaverse is we've already seen metaverses exist for decades, you know, like whether it's World of Warcraft, The Sims, you know, GTA, but now, and now we see, you know, Roblox and now Epic, you know, building their own thing. And, and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a collection of interactive social experiences that uh, appeal to different types of audiences, which is what makes most sense to me, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's a, some ubiquitous standard. And, and he's kind of backed off on that, too. He's like, look, I think, you know, my expectations were that this would be take a lot quicker. Than, or I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he basically backed off on the idea that there's going to be ubiquitous standards. It's like it's going to take too, a long time for that to happen. Um, if at all, I think is what yeah. the right approach to be. So are you telling me there's going to be no interoperability? That's what I've been dreaming <laughs> of, man. No, no, not in my lifetime. <laughs> okay. Um, good. I think that's I fair. Mean, look, I mean, if just think about the logistics today about bringing, a Call of Duty gun to any other ecosystem out there, right? Impossible, right? Impossible, right? It would create development on their end, development on the, every other platform's end. Like, uh, oh, they're pretty I, generic, I, man. I'm surprised they don't just ship stock with Unity. It's, that's just not the way <laughs> the world works. Yeah. You think Call of Duty is going to share their stuff with other people? No. no. Why would they? That's ridiculous. I mean, Epic has a chance of doing it because it, it benefits their platform, but it's still going to be within their own ecosystem. Right. You know, they're an engine even, seller at that point. Yeah. Right. But, like, but even, in, even if Epic were to do it, and I'm now I'm just talking out of my ass here, right? Even if Epic were to do it, like, sure, it would work for that that universe of, of Fortnite type content, Fortnite type players, and that that audience. But would that work for The Sims? You know, or you know, would it work for Candy Crush? You know, like, no. <laughs> No, there's no ubiquity there. There's, it's just different groups of people playing different games on the platforms that they choose to play on. 
right? There's different, again, different platform use cases as well. Well, it's like pretty so. easy to break apart into different conversations. Like if you're talking about conversations of like file formats and transfer of like like the actual content in that sense, like the, the audiovisual thing, or is it, you know, you're talking about like functionality or like game balance. Like there's all these different things that you like, if you tear apart, then some of them are a lot easier to do than others, right? But it's like, yeah, like we're not going to, you're not going to be able to bring game mechanics between games, right? Like unless they're using some kind of shared engine that works between yeah. them, why would that even right. make sense, right? And and that's the problem is like this conversation, like you mix in virtual worlds with the idea of UGC platforms, you mix in like game mechanics with art assets, and you're like talking about five different things at the same time. It's like, well, fuck, none of that's going to work if you're talking about everything at once. Like, yeah, why would that work? And why would you want it to work? Right. That'd probably be stupid at the end of the day. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, there's no incentive. There's yeah, there's no mutual incentives to do what they're suggesting, what Matthew was suggesting. Mm-hmm. What gets you excited about Epic Games specifically? Is it the network effect they've created around Fortnite, or is it the more the engine side, the the Fortnite creative mode? I think what what I like about Epic's approach versus like Roblox, for instance, is that they have a tool that can be used to build content within their their world. And if the game is good enough, or if you choose to, you can export it into a real engine that can be create, you can create a game in or Steam or, you know, to, to sell as a standalone game, right? So while... Roblox is a great tool and technology for Roblox. I don't think that tool and technology really kind of transcends that. It's just basically built for that audience. And my opinion on Roblox is it's for eight to 10 year old kids, right? And that's not scalable, nor is it like interesting longer term, right? But I think if if Epic does it right and these tools and technologies ultimately basically merge into Unreal 6 um, and make it almost seamless to build experiences and create them for uh, outside of that ecosystem. I think that is super compelling and, and super valuable to the entire ecosystem for that matter. And then back to my original concern, then I start to get concerned about whether or not this is, could be really um, cannibalistic. Right. So for instance, <laughs> one of the guys was telling me like within like the first, like three or four hours, they built a, the entire level from finals you know, the game that's coming out, Final Final, whatever that game is, the, the shooter. So someone was able to recreate the entire map of both Call of Duty and Finals in, in a few days. You know, now, obviously, the gameplay is not going to be quite as tight and, and good. I'm just saying, like, like, that's the kind of power that this tool could have. And that could be a challenge for some, you know, the established uh, AAAs, right? So, but uh, anyway, yeah, I just think Epic is on the right track from that perspective. And then the other thing is the economic advantage we'll see how that plays out but the fact that they're giving up you know what 40 percent of their revenue to pay creators not based upon whether they can monetize but based upon uh um engagement uh, engagement which is whew, that's that's crazy right um that that's pretty generous right uh and obviously that will likely will change over time but that's a really uh um it's a very lucrative way to start, I would say, for, for game developers versus Roblox, which is a disaster for creators, really, mm-hmm. except for the biggest. So as a 
proven, like a team that has a proven ability to ship good games, which is something that we at Bigcraft look for. Do you think to, today it's really worth having a good look at what Epic's doing to potentially like start there, and then you know if it works out, you know take the code base and and build it into a, a standalone game. Good question. Could you use it as a testing ground for content to publish? Yeah, why not? I, how much can Maybe you actually mod to... with it? Like, how like can you build like full on game mods with it, or is it more just like throw some stuff together in a Fortnite level? Like, I haven't I haven't played with it, so I'm kind of curious if you've looked into it more and what you can actually do. No, I, as far as I understand it, it's going to get more and more robust. So you could build out almost anything you can imagine that you could build Unreal. I, I mean, I imagine you could build Diablo in this tool ultimately right now i don't think that's the case now i'm not suggesting it is but it's possible right um basically anything you can build in unreal you're gonna be able to build with this engine so it's, a, it's more like an entryway into building for unreal is what you're kind of saying yeah that yeah yeah sorry maybe i'm not being clear that makes, I, I, no, that's I mean, that what, makes total sense like uh yeah because i mean the most most genres were created from mods like over the last like two three decades right right and so like i would think there's a good chance that that could be then the platform and then of course the game when it branches off to its own thing then uses unreal and that's beneficial yeah. of course for epic right 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 and i and i think anybody that's building in roblox should be building should be dedicating resources to this because i think this is going to have much more reach ultimately to the right type of audience right so this I don't know the numbers by hearts. DAU, MEU wise, um, is Roblox higher than, than, let's say, Fortnite? I actually don't know exactly where they're at right now. Where's Roblox? Like 60 million or something, MEU? Let's see. Let me Google this. How many of those yeah, are this, just creepy adults? This is, this, is, this is why you prep, right? Because you like throwing, start throwing out stats here, then everyone's going to be like, nah, you're so full out. of shit. You don't know what you're talking about. We'll just <laughs> insert, insert stat here later on your in post. Opinion is, your opinion is useless. <laughs> Uh, um, that's assuming you trust the stats anyways, right? So well, I, Roblox has, sorry, is uh, 43.2 million DAUs. Oh, DAU. Yeah. Monthly, 202 million monthly active users in April 2021. So that's uh, two years ago. It's just, uh, what a quick uh, search. Oh, uh, during talk. COVID, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> when they weren't in school. It's like 67 million DAUs. And let's see what um, Fortnite. Fortnite's, I think, much smaller. Yeah, I think so, too. Should invite ChatGPT on here as one of our guests. They could just throw out the facts. Dude, fact check us while we're speaking. It's Mm going to be a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. 2025, probably. But, But what I would argue is that the audience that you really want that monetizes the best is the 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 audience that's playing Fortnite. Yeah. You know, despite how great the kids audience is in terms of parents that are willing to spend whatever it takes to get their kids off their ass, right? <laughs> um the uh you know, the 18 to 44 year old males or even like even like 15 to you know, and older are going to be more uh, lucrative from a from a model perspective. Mhm. Yeah. Where where else do you think you know you you look at the industry from a high level um, like Devin and specifically me we look at seed stage companies where do you still see some opportunities Eric? Well, I mean, I I I, I just think that the 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 premium market uh, for console and PC uh, social experiences like when we talk about the metaverse, my my whole thing is 
you know, building an online uh, Animal Crossing, right? Building a comp- competitor to The Sims, right? Uh, for that type of, you know, those are the type of opportunities that I'd be really kind of pursuing right now. Uh, we haven't even talked about mobile yet. And, and, you know, I've been ranting against mobile for like the last two years with all these changes from, you know, what I call the Apple mobile global game recession, right? Because Apple created these privacy policies out of their ass, right? To, and it completely dismantled the entire UA infrastructure uh, for gaming, right? Your your primary means of marketing your games has now been completely altered and almost destroyed overnight because Apple wanted to do a privacy policy message to sell their devices, right? To be to, to compete against Google. That's it, right? I mean, clearly, right? Well, so when 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 Facebook kind of pulled that crap, right? Everyone kind of went over to mobile from there. So let's say you know people are mobile are like, well, f mobile, table flip. Where do we go from? Where do they go from there? Do they just go to console? Do they go to PC? Yeah. Web. Console, PC, web. Done. Yeah. Right? right. Let's do it. Yeah. Move. Get out of there. Right. <laughs> Migrate. I mean, Facebook, it was even more dramatic with Facebook. They basically destroyed the whole ecosystem in like six months, you know, by uh, removing the, the uh, um, oh my God, what's the word? <laughs> Sorry. They, they removed the ability to, to uh, advertise on the main feed. Right. So your, your, your whole way of attracting consumers just went, just got, was disappeared. Like it was crazy. And the whole business fell apart. Right. And and that's part of the problem of not having control over your platform. Uh, And that's and and that's why. That's why mobile was always destined to be a challenge. Right. Because Google and Apple have way too much power over or what you do. And there's and they're not sorry. This is the big rant that I've been doing for like years. So it's like I'm not going to do it justice. But the reality of it is these tech companies give a fuck about mobile, about gaming. Right. They don't care about gaming. That's what you have to get in your head, right? All they care about is selling devices or selling advertising, right? And so that's why Google is more aligned with gaming to some degree because they're just selling advertising, right? But with Apple, they don't care at all. Anybody you talk to that actually works at Apple, they'll tell you they don't care at all about gaming. Gaming is not even in the discussion, right? It's about selling devices. That's it. Right. That's all it is. And so like if that doesn't align with what they want to do, if privacy is going to sell devices, then they don't give a shit about your P you know, your podunk revenue for mobile gaming. They don't, you know, and so it's ironic. It's just irony that the people really think they care. They don't. And 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 uh, and so anyway, we'll see what happens uh, going forward. But I my prediction is it's going to get worse before it gets better with mobile because. I think fingerprinting is going to get removed. I think um, Google's going to do their uh, thing and now uh, their you know privacy rules and their privacy rules will probably be a lot better than. I mean, how couldn't they be better, right? Than than <laughs> Apple Low bar, but um, but they still will reduce fidelity and reduce the ability to target whales and 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 so it's going to be a real challenge. Mobile is going to be a slog for the next two to three years, right? Where we're going to see. You know, five to ten percent declines um, in revenue in the West, in particular. So, you know, it, it's a challenge, right? Well, so, I'm, cu- I'm curious about the compatibility, though. Of let's say they go to move to console, right? Uh, the compatibility of like free to play models on console, or even the way that marketing works, like you know, interstitial yeah, ads and all these other things. Like, how do these <laughs> mobile companies move over to console? Does that they like don't. Even fit? <laughs> Right, it's it's not easy, dude. The, the the guys that were building Facebook, Canvas, couldn't make the move to mobile. Right? How right. challenging was that? Zynga imploded because the powers that be within Zynga, all they could do was build on Flash and and and, pla- and platforms that didn't matter on mobile. 
Um, so yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough transition. And I think, and a lot of these companies like Playtica, Scopely, um, you know, I, I mean, I have to imagine fun plus and all these other big, you know, really successful companies on mobile are all in a situation in which they really need to think about building out the capability of building games in other, on other platforms. Right. And that is not an easy venture. Right. So, um, but you know, as a private company, I think that's if you're a private company, then you have that advantage. You know, Moon Active, uh, Fun Plus, uh, Scopely, to some degree, now that they've been acquired by Savvy, they're in even a better position um, to make that transition. I think it's going to take a lot of money, a lot of unprofitable years in order to build up the op, um, the capability of building games outside of mobile. Can you, elaborate, can you yeah, elaborate on the difference for you between the uh, private business and public business and, and why, you know, public businesses will have a harder time making that transition successfully from mobile to anything else? I mean, it's simply as a public company, you are dealing with quarterly earnings, right? You have to deal with an, an investor base that wants to see growth at all costs, right? Top line, bottom line, <laughs> just keep the juggernaut going, right? You have no flexibility of taking you know, 20% of your revenue and starting to invest in new teams to build console, because that means that your margins are 20% less, you know, they, they, they're unforgiving. And that's why Playtica should have never gone public, right? I mean, I, there's, there's so, it's so much, so much more complex than that. Like, but like these companies that went public had no business being public. Like all these Polish companies went public because of CD project and like these companies in Europe going public, it made no sense, you know, like they're not big enough. They don't have enough Uh, they're not diversified enough from a product perspective and from a revenue source perspective. They don't have the the yeah the capacity to you know build new teams to build new stuff. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's why private companies just have that much more flexibility. Supercell, for instance, has even yeah even though they were they were acquired, right? But they they have the flexibility of actually retooling, and that's exactly what they're doing right now. I mean, his whole letter. We talked, covered this in the podcast. Was that um, you know they're retooling, they're like re, they're building, right? They're building more teams. They can't be the small like scrappy group of 250 people making gajillions of dollars, right? They have to grow, build live ops capability, build the bu capability of building new games, pro, you know, prototype better, you know, like his whole letter. I'm not going to go through it, but um, yeah, that private companies have just much more flexibility to do that. Yeah. Is there um, any? Or much opportunity in web for you? I um, I'm looking at the announcement that Google is rolling out web GPU, um, and so now we can make take full use of our GPU. I can finally make full use of my 4090 that I bought no. on a whim last year um, in the browser. <laughs> you mean on br browser-based games? Yeah. No. no. HTML5. Like, I was in early HTML5 stuff and doing game development there, and I've watched it go through the whole thing. It's just, it's too unreliable of a technology with I, the browsers and stuff, and it's just... I've been doing this for 30 years almost now, and I swear to God, the last, the next time I hear someone start talking about building web-based games using HTML5, I, I think I'm going to shoot myself. Like, it, it, it's never going to work. Just stop it, okay? Stop. But, because regardless of whether or not how well you can do on it, you're still going to sacrifice quality and fidelity and interop, interactivity. And that's not what the customer wants. I, the customer does not want that, period. They don't want streaming either. Like streaming is, is a dumb idea because 
the audience doesn't care. They don't want that. That, 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 that. They want the fidelity to provide by dedicated piece, dedicated GPU, CPU controls. They want the, the, the experience. They don't want to deal with this bullshit. And that's the other big problem I have right now is this whole PC shit that people are talking about. People think it's like the great white hope, you know? Like, you know, it's, it's crazy. PC is a shit show, right? It's a terrible platform. And I'm a huge PC gamer. I love PC. That's all I play is PC games. But it's a terrible platform because it's hard to configure. Graphics cards are required. There's like all kinds of impediments to like creating a great experience on PC versus console, which is an easy experience to just pick up and play. You press a button and you're playing immediately, right? That's just not the case for PC. And so while I think there's opportunities on PC, I'm not poo-pooing the whole idea of PC. I hope they are because I love the PC. Um, <laughs> it's just not the opportunity that consoles are. Um, from a playability standard and for what the consumer wants, you know? So mm-hmm. is there any HTML. possible new platforms then? Like, so right now, like you, I mean, you're talking about console, you're talking about PC and it's like, you're talking about sh- shit that's been around for a long ass time. And none of those are like new tech in any way. And like, obviously VR is not going to take off, right? We're not going to see that blow up anytime soon. Uh, cloud gaming, you're just like, that's done. No, uh, cloud gaming is so dumb. Web three, we so won't even dumb. get into, right? Uh, so I'm just like, you know, what is, is there even anything on the horizon uh, that like is interesting from like a new platform perspective? So here's what I think the opportunity is, particularly for these mobile guys, right? They have actually, they have, this is not going to be very popular with the console people, generally <laughs> speaking, but they have figured out ways of maximizing revenue, depth of spend across all kinds of different genres, right? The free-to-play mechanics that they've developed over the last decade have been phenomenal, right? You're just squeezing as much money as possible from every customer, right? They got to bring that shit to console, right? Because that is the best market, right? And you're starting to see some evidence. And what that means is that, again, this is not popular point of view, is that you need pay-to-win mechanics because pay-to-win mechanics is what makes money on mobile, right? 99 Maybe 95% of the revenue on mobile is all pay to win, right? Or pay to progress, either way. Um, on console, though, there are many games that are pay to win, which include like FIFA, Madden, and NBA 2K. But a lot of them are more cosmetic in, in orientation, like Fortnite or even Call of Duty. Now, Call of Duty is starting to implement some crazy shit that is pay to, pay to win to some degree, <laughs> but pay for advantage, right? So we need to figure out a way of of melding these two worlds, right? Because what I forgot, what I want to make sure everyone understands is the reason the consoles are such a great platform is because they're, they are, everyone is on the same page. Like Microsoft and Sony want everyone to succeed on their platform. So it's like this kumbaya, you know, everyone wants everyone to do well on the consoles because they all make money based upon people playing unlike mobile and, and Apple and even Google to that, for that matter. Um, so anyway, we need to figure out how to bring these mechanics to console, right? And that that's the opportunity, right? Or even PC to that to some degree, you know, uh, on the AAA side. Um, and that would be a home run uh, because monetizing non-sports games is probably the biggest opportunity for the console manufacturers this cycle and next um, because they have not done a great job of it with some rare exceptions like Rainbow Six we were talking about earlier and then um, – and that GTA, is when a pay to pay for advantage one. That one's like surprisingly good. It's been like not aggressive and s- somehow managed to make money. 
And it's like, it is a little bit rare, I think, to be able to make, I mean, they're not making hand over fist money, right? Like, it's not crazy, but they've been able to sustain the game and actually yeah. be, like, one of their top earners. Like, obviously, like, their other games are not doing anything other than, like, initial release and some DLC. So you're not going to see a ton, right? But it's still, like, there. I think there is some opportunity to be maybe a little less aggressive. But I think, to your point, at the end of the day, people are paying for something. They want something for that money. So it's either going to be, like, something that's just visual only, which is only going to sell so much. And the game's already got to be huge for that to work. Or they're going to pay for something that they can get, like whether that be, you know, some advantage or that be like some content that may be considered advantage, like a character that might be slightly stronger than others or unlocks it faster. Like, I feel like it's kind of a weird thing to say pay pay to win when it's like, well, you want something for your money. Like, you're not paying money. It's not a charity. You're not like, hey, I like this game a lot. I'm going to donate to it. That model doesn't work. No one donates when it's a donation thing, right? So you want something back in return. It's like, well, how do you make it fair? How do you make it like in a way that people aren't super pissed, but it's like, it seems like only the people that aren't spending money, are the ones pissed. So it's exactly. Like, but, <laughs> but, but console people have been built on the idea of maintaining right. their brand and the purity kind of, of their brand and the purity too. of the, of the gameplay. Right. And so going against that is against their core tenants as a organization, you know, somewhere like EA or Activision or take two or uh, Ubisoft. Um, but I think they got to get over that. Right. And, what I would argue, and this is what I've been arguing for like years and no one's done it, is that like Call of Duty, for instance, it's not this simple, but I'm going to make it try to sound as simple as possible, is that you have a mode that is made for people that want to pay to win, right? That pay to progress or whatever. And so that there is like almost unlimited spend. Like you create this huge depth of spend uh, mode within the Call of Duty and see who comes, right? And if you don't want to fucking participate, you don't participate, right? It's a right. bit... But those that do, do, and, and you get crazy perks. And I'm not a designer, so, like, it just, it just it, it, it's over the top, like, nonsense, right? I think that would be a great test as to whether I mean, or not FIFA it FIFA Ultimate Team already, isn't it? Yeah. No, I mean, FIFA <laughs> is that, right? Like, you can't compete FIFA unless you spend thousands of dollars, right? You can't compete even close to the highest levels. So, yes. So it's bringing that, again, to uh, non-sports gaming. That's huge. The... Um the gamer inside of me just died a little bit hearing you guys talk about this. I know, I know. I hate it too, by the way. I'm not I'm not just, a big fan of it. I'm just I'm saying. I'm a big fan of just using matchmaking <laughs> to solve it, right? Like, just match the people based off how much they've spent against each other kind of thing. Like, not literally that, but you, you get what I mean, right? Like, throw throw the whales against each other, then it's like, yeah. whatever, let them duke it out. Who cares? <sighs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, interesting. Um, I mean, I, I have... Skill-based matchmaking is a whole other... Um, discussion that uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what to think about it. It's. Uh, I, I can see why why so, it's important. Let me ask you, Mister Mister Web Three Nico. Like I've had so many conversations with you over the years, and uh, and you are like the biggest evangelist in the world on Web Three. I think. <laughs> I mean, I think you you hold that title because I talk to Thanks. you, and I swear to God, it's like talking to a preacher, right? It's, it, <laughs> it, it, it ain't it ain't normal, dude. It ain't normal. So I, where where do you where are the opportunities that you see in the market that I'm not thinking about? Like how why am I obtuse and and old school and 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 not really considering what's happening in the market? Preach it. So praise the me. Preach, the preacher of Web three. I I I mean I need to change my Twitter and LinkedIn bio because that is what I'm here for. Um, <clears throat> so. My general thesis, I have a belief that in 
let's say, let's say seven years, 2030, I think that 90 plus percent of all games will touch Web3 in some way. Um, in some way. And I think the majority of that will happen as simply as a payment rails. I think, you know, Web3 technologies as a native value layer on top of the internet are a strictly superior way to transact value than the current payment system. And, you know, it currently has all of its shortcomings and I think that will be solved. Um, but that's just on like, you know, purely transactional um, and the the game design itself will not revolve around much much Web3. I think we'll see a bunch of Web 2.5 games that will use Web3 technologies as a way to like um, monetize more than they would in a Web2 world. You know, you can imagine a CSGO, but the skins are um, are NFTs, right? People, if, if CSGO skins were NFTs, people would be willing to spend more because there's l slightly less counterparty risk. Right, slightly less. Um, so that's that's number two. I think um, in, for example, the mobile hyper casual or more casual side of things, um, we're seeing um, Web three technologies like NFTs and fungible tokens being attempt like being used by um, publishers and developers to try and keep people within the ecosystem. Right, there's a lot of churn from game to game. And they're, so they're trying to give NFTs to players that they can use within the different games within that same ecosystem. So they're less likely to go outside of the ecosystem and keep spending inside of it. That's another application of, of this technology, which you don't necessarily need crypto for. I, I agree with that. Um, but I think it's a, it's a good use case. And then on the furthest spectrum, so I, essentially what I just described was increasing steps of the depth of, of these Web3 technologies inside the game itself. And on the furthest end, I think there's the, the weird shit that I, I'm also very excited about, which is, you know, Web3 and blockchains are more than a ledger that keeps track of who owns what, right? It's, it's more than just a database. It is essentially a computer. And so you can program logic onto a computer. And so games that actually use that distributed computer um, aspect of the blockchain I think are also have a lot of potential, um, but I think that that's to, for that to play out, especially in a big way, uh, will probably take some more time. Um, but TLDR, I think a large number of games will use Web three technologies, um, many of them in a very light way. Um, but you know, uh, I think there's there's many different ways how we can use this. Well, uh, if I were to be honest. Um... That's not what you were selling last year. I'll tell you that much. Like, what was I selling last year? That, uh, last that seems like a lot more muted than in the idea that these Web three games were going to be taking over the market. You know, <clears throat> maybe yeah, maybe maybe I was I was it. I should look back at at some of the discussions that I had where I was I was trying to shill this to other people online, um, and probably I could I could find some examples on, on where I was you know more, more bullish than I am today. I think um, through this new cycle, through this new bear market, I came to the realization that um, the onboarding and user friction problems are more significant than I anticipated, and that gamers care less about concepts like real ownership than a lot of web three hardcore people would like to believe. And, you know, this, the added value of web three today does not make up for the struggles that people have in onboarding onto the blockchain. Um, and so for that reason, I think that's probably like, I, I, I think the end state 
of my vision for Web3 is similar to what it always was, but I think now it's just pushed back a little bit and it's, gonna, it's just going to take a bit longer. Hmm. It also sounds like more like it's enabling tech than it is a revolution in game design. I would say, yeah, 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 I think so. The majority of games indeed will use you know these technologies as enabling technologies more than anything else. And I think I, I still haven't figured out, and I don't think we can make you know predictions in any way about what the size of the gaming market will be for games that use it as foundational uh, tech for the game for game design itself. Right. I would say the closest thing to it being like a, a transformative aspect to game design is similar to the free to play argument, where it starts as a monetization model sort of thing. Not necessarily being a monetization model, but it starts around financial aspects and starts to bleed into game design because of it not necessarily enabling that of the game design, but so much skewing the game design towards whatever the financial stuff drives. And I don't think it like takes over like some kind of, you know, fungus, but I think it starts to put pressure uh on the game design that starts to affect certain things. And if those take off and people start copying them because they're successful in some way, like free to play, then it spreads. If they don't, then it doesn't right. Like free to play, you know, had it stops and starts at first. And then like some models became really successful that, that people were like, Oh, well, okay, well I can't charge fucking 99 cents for my thing anymore. It's not going to work and started copying it. And like, obviously there was still, there's still failures to this day, obviously like it didn't magically make everything work, but it put a lot of pressure on people to consider that model. You see how many games like try and go premium and then go, damn, I wish we would have launched free to play because we couldn't get people to buy our game off the, you know, the shelf essentially. Um, and, and, you know, maybe similar thing where maybe it's not the current version of the tech. Maybe there is some other enabling factor of it that's related to the financial rails or the other things that like the transmissibility of, of objects in it, whatever that makes it. So it's like, okay, well, this is actually enough of a benefit uh, maybe not to game players, maybe more to developers, maybe more to publishers or whatever it is, but, uh, you know, puts enough pressure on the people copy it. But that's a big what if, right? Like, I, I don't think the current version of the tech is enough compelling, like, uh, use cases to say that that's a, like an immediate threat to like game design. Dude, I feel like I'm in like Twilight Zone here, man. Like, this is this is not the Nico I used to know. But, you um, haven't been listening I, enough to me, man. Clearly. Well, maybe maybe in the last six months I haven't been, but I certainly was listening to you a year ago. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, this guy's yeah. nuts!" Um, so, but, what do you think now <laughs> about our takes? I, oh, I think this is a reasonable take. I think this is what I told you like <laughs> a year and a half ago. <laughs> I know I'm not, I'm not. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm saying I I said very specifically. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that this was enabling technology, just like AWS, right? Like the, that that. That and that the onboarding, that the total addressable market was Im- impossible to predict because it's the challenge of getting in there. And so, the reason that you know, everyone kept using it as a way of saying, "Oh, well, this is going to be like mobile again," in terms of you know the the revolution on the industry. And I'm like, "No, it's not, dude. The total addressable market for mobile gaming was six billion, seven billion, right? Uh, the total addressable market for blockchain was like." A few, you know, hundred thousand. Everyone has a lunatics. web browser, Eric. Yeah, no, yeah. See, see, it's like so. Anyway, I don't know. And then the the technology side of it as well. But whatever. I think, I think it's a very what your approach right now seems very reasonable. <laughs> That's a very reasonable <laughs> assumption. Um, and, and and from my perspective, I'm seeing games out there that look interesting. Like I I, I think the CCP thing is going to be a real good test as to whether or not a team like that who knows what the fuck they're doing in building these type of experiences. Putting enabling ch- blockchain technology in there, 
and to see if that actually can help them um, up uh, level up their their game, which has been so phenomenally successful over the years. I think that's mm-hmm. a great one. Shrapnel. I have my doubts about whether they can execute, but the idea is really interesting. Um, and and but compete. The problem with that game is that you got to compete against AAA shooters like Call of Duty, right? And 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 Apex and like. I mean that's hard to build an audience for that. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, but I think the ideas that they're they're throwing out there are interesting. But I don't know how long it's going to take for them to get. I don't that know. A lot done, of the but... extraction genre is kind of crap. So like they're not they're not competing against Call of Duty other than DMZ mode, which I don't think is highly played. Or Hazard mode, which is like no one plays in Battlefield. Like, like it's just competing against Tarkov, which is such a such a more hardcore game. So like depending on how they go about it, but they've also got to compete against I guess Dead Drop. Uh, the the you know the doctor, disrespect or, or disrespect one yeah. like yeah that, that one's interesting too I saw him at the uh, the NBA finals uh, in Sacramento <laughs> he's out there and, and it was so funny my wife is like who is that guy <laughs> who is that guy and Jacob my son is like Dude, that's doctor disrespect he has like most he's like evidently six eight I didn't know that he's yeah like he's out here in massive. Sacktown man I should have stopped by yeah evidently he's a fan of the Kings right I nice. didn't know he lived yeah got that purple was, light up. <laughs> Yesterday. Anyway, um, I digress. I, I, I think. Uh, wait, what were we talking about? The um, Web oh, three for games. No, the shooters, the, 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 the shooter shooter market. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I think there's there's a lot of games coming in that in this genre, like in the next like eight to twelve months. So we'll see. How, I feel like I've been hearing uh, how, that for like two years, though. I know. Like no one, well, no one's actually delivering on it. I know. The Blizzard's working on one as well, but that I don't think that's going to be next year. It's probably the year after. Um. Yeah, don't pre-order that. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I think um, one last point I want to make, and I, I've said it on this podcast before, I think that's to go back to you know the, the enabling opportunities that Web3 brings. You know, Eric, you mentioned that, you know, the, a, a well, a platform with everyone's, with aligned incentives, where everyone's incentives, incentives are aligned with optimal monetization um, is is going to be like a cash cow, essentially. And I think that's, you know, Web3 technologies enable a lot of revenue and, and monetization optimization, if that makes sense. I think because of this technology, we now can do one, like transactions that are more than 100 bucks, right? Uh, mobile. As, yeah, right, as, right. That's one. We could also do transactions that are fractions of a cent. Um, that's what I'm that more excited was... about, honestly, than the giant transactions, which Apple now allows some amount of that, I guess, but who knows where that'll really go. Yeah. My information is really old on this, but my general perception of the mobile market is that people don't spend insane amounts of money, like high, high, high price tickets. They, they buy a, they buy a high price ticket, but in game they spend in very small increments, mm. right? It's about transaction velocity. It's not about transaction value in game right um, so you buy currency you spend it over a period of time and then you buy more currency and you spend it mm. over time right that's the way the method is i'd love to be corrected on that but that's that that's my understanding but nonetheless i understand what you're saying uh incentives are aligned <coughs> right in that way mm-hmm. and that, that was actually the expression i was trying to talk about when i was talking about the console business like <coughs> all everyone is incentivized to, for everyone to do well and sorry, my last point is the reason I don't like this transaction with Activision and Xbox is because those incentives become less aligned when you have such a, a premier game on your platform that you own, right? So, you know, the shooters. So who's going to make a shooter, you know, for Microsoft? 
platform when they own Call of Duty, right? That you know that that, mm-hmm. that Microsoft does not want another shooter to do well on their platform because they own Call of Duty. So those that's when things get dicey. Um, but anyway, so but Sony Sony's still the the last pure console for now. Mm-hmm. If that deal goes through, great. Good. So my takeaway from from the past ten minutes is that I need to spice up my take on Web three because Eric considers it reasonable. Which yeah, is, you got the crest blast. You're good. I, I I I don't think that's a good thing. Um, I need to I need to get him to rant because otherwise he doesn't think about you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everyone comes down from their uh, from <laughs> from the back to reality. We yeah. get back to reality after a while. You know, after a bull run. That's fair. That's yes, fair. Yes. Good. Eric, where can people find you if they want to hear more? Uh, Deconstructor of Fun, weekly podcast, Twig. You know, I'm I'm there every week, you know, shooting the shit. We're going to cover, um, obviously, this Rovio acquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we covered Scopely last week. Um, and uh, and I'm always on LinkedIn. That's kind of where I spend most of my time for social media because I'm old school. Uh, no Twitter? Okay. No Twitter. No, I, I, I think it would take over my life if I started like starting, mm. you know, making pot shots on Twitter. I, I could um, see you getting into like some serious fights on Twitter, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, start I, tweeting. I got enough stress in my life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's like, yeah, well, that's um, that's where you can reach me, and uh, yeah, and I'm always around. So there you go. <laughs> reach out, reach out. I love awesome. to get information. I'm an information broker. That's true. Right, so. If you got some hot takes, uh, some insider information, I guess mostly about public companies, which I don't think a lot of we're, we're more in the startup worlds, and, and our listeners are as well. But um, good to know. Yep. Fantastic, Devin. As usual, thank you very much, and then listener, thank you too for uh, for listening. If you made it till here, um, hope you enjoyed. Go uh, follow Eric on on uh, LinkedIn. Maybe send him a connection request. Um, I guess he, he likes having a lot of friends on there on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> appreciate you listening. If you liked this, let us know. Uh, leave us a like, a comment. Always appreciate it. And with that, we are out. And we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Ciao.